Hello, welcome to today's edition of the Trish Regan Show. We are live with you, and it's great to see so many familiar faces. We got lots of news to cover. We're still watching the whole Speaker of the House thing unfold. We're still trying to deal with the horrors of what happened in Israel. But I, I thought I'd start on a little good news for some people. You know, we talk a lot about the changing media industry, and I have a feeling you're going to be seeing a whole lot more of this guy right here. Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. You often hear people say the news is full of lies, but most of the time that's not exactly right. Much of what you see on television or read the New York Times is in fact true in the literal sense. It could pass one of the media's own fact checks. Lawyers would be willing to sign off on it. In fact, they may have, but that doesn't make it. Well, Tucker Carlson has just secured millions of dollars in his first major round of funding. I'm going to tell you all about it. This is a very interesting and change in time, right? Media is moving at such a rapid rate. Here we are streaming live. I'm looking at your comments. Yes, I'm here. Sorry for the slight delay. But again, the whole speaker thing is, is causing all kinds of problems. I'll update you on that. But yes, it's a very, very different world. And this is great news, frankly, for Tucker, for conservatives, and for independent thought. Right. I welcome that diversity. We need diversity. We can't just have Fox News as like the one and only player, you know, followed by Newsmax. You need more sources out there. So it's really good stuff. I'll tell you all about the investment portions of the show today are brought to you by LegacyPMInvestments.com. Charles Thorngren, who's the CEO of the company and a big advocate for diversification, including investing in things like gold and silver. He'll be on the program tomorrow, so make sure you tune in live at 1 o'clock, and you can ask Charles questions directly yourself. Again, their number, if you want to catch up with them ahead of time, is one 560 starting here on Tucker Carlson. So big article in the Wall Street Journal today, which, by the way, is owned by Rupert Murdoch, so kind of interesting. But, you know, they still have to report the news, whether they like it or not. Tucker Carlson has secured a major round of funding, and this is first in what is expected to be much more. It's $15 million, so, you know, not not 100, not 200, but he is said to be looking for hundreds of millions of dollars. And so this is kind of a step in the right direction. I want to tell you a little bit about the guy who's giving the money. He's somebody who kind of had a, a career as a, a Democrat. He was somebody who worked at some major uh, banks like Bank of America. He was also at the very uh, fancy law firm. Was it Wild Gottschall? I believe so. Sort of a white shoe firm law firm. And all of a sudden he had this epiphany Epiphany, this is a Mr. Malik, Omid Malik is his name, He Omid Malik, he had an epiphany when March 2020 hit, and he said, wait a second, like, what's really going on? Do we really have the freedom of speech that we all thought we had in America? Quick reminder, make sure you subscribe if you haven't subscribed. Hit the bell as well. Make sure you subscribe. I'm live here every single day, and I believe in freedom of speech for sure, and I believe in my ability to say what I think and to present opinions that I believe in, something that I know Tucker does as well. And so him going out on his own, what's interesting here, and one of the things that is mentioned in this article with the investor who's putting forth $15 million is that what we've seen in conservative media is that you have a lot of these sort of small channels and upstarts, et cetera, but they really haven't condensed into anything massive like Fox News. But Fox News, of course, had the sort of brain power, if you would, of Roger Ailes combined with the deep pockets 
of Rupert Murdoch. We've seen what's happened since the brain power left, right? The deep pockets, well, they're deep, but you don't have the same kind of influence anymore. Moreover, you don't necessarily want that. I mean, in fairness, right? Do we want to have one network that's sort of representing all people? I don't believe that that's correct either. And so Mr. Malik came to this sort of realization that we needed more diversity in terms of viewpoints and that conservatives needed to be heard too. He apparently moved to Florida, smart move, during March 2020 out of New York City and he started hanging out with some Republicans and he started hearing more and more about this. And so he became, if you would, sort of an anti-woke. He saw ESG for what it was. Vivek Ramaswamy, you know, has been very much out in front and center of that whole issue, having come out with that book, Woke Inc., a couple of years ago. So he started paying attention to this and started saying, okay, like, I think we need to kind of make a difference. And he's been taking some initiatives as a quote unquote angel investor, sort of in that private equity round, helping some of these conservative things to launch. I believe he did have some participation in the uh, company that wants to be the oh, I don't know, the conservative version of Amazon right now, and that just went public via a SPAC. And so this is another sort of $15 million worth of seed money to help Tucker out and Neil Patel, who is the partner with Tucker in his company. And they have a company, by the way, Tucker's company is called Last Country Inc., registered in Nevada. And so the thinking is that this money will help support them in terms of being able to do more videos, which you can offer on a subscription basis. Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. You often hear people say the news is full of lies. Almost every day. But most of the time, that's not exactly right. Much of what you see on television or read the New York Times is, in fact, true in the literal sense. It could pass one of the media's own fact checks. Lawyers would be willing to sign off on it. In fact, they may have. But that doesn't make it true. It's not true. At the most basic level, the news you consume is a lie, a lie of the stealthiest and most insidious kind. Facts have been withheld on purpose, along with proportion and perspective. You are being manipulated. How does that work? Let's see. If I tell you that a man has been unjustly arrested for armed robbery, that is not, strictly speaking, a lie. He may have been framed. At this point, there's been no trial, so no one can really say. Yeah, you, you know, he's right. I mean, the, the news, news is incredibly biased. I've worked in it my entire career at various networks and seen exactly, shall we say, how the sausage gets made. It's, it's not pretty. And there is a bias. I would say in, in deference to Fox, actually, that was the first place, at least when, when Roger was there, that was the first place I was at where I had a little bit more leeway, right? I could really like say what I thought. I, I would do it at Bloomberg and like, you know, they'd come down on me pretty hard. Why did you, you know, why'd you say that? Or why'd you have to have that debate with that particular person? And so I, I got the feeling that we were there sort of to support a certain narrative, shall we say. I'm just being completely candid and completely honest. I saw it at other networks, you know, where they choose to run certain stories and they would not run other ones. And certain pitches would be accepted, right, that you put forward and other pitches would not. And so actually, I did actually feel some some liberty when I got to Fox to kind of just say, okay, well, like, I'm going to be myself and I have an opinion and you're going to hear it. And it's not going to be as micromanaged. That's That said, it was kind of micromanaged. I mean, every single commentary I did, it was so annoying because, you know, I just like to talk. I don't like I have to write it all down. And then read it from a prompter. I'm a pretty good prompter reader, by the way. I bet you couldn't even tell if I was reading the prompter. I, 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 it's a skill. It's a skill. Anyway, it, I, I just hated that. I hated that because to me it felt phony. It was contrived. 
and I want you to know me, right? Like you should know me as I am. And maybe I say some things that might ruffle some feathers, but isn't that good? Like, shouldn't you have that spontaneity? Cable afforded, certainly in my career, more of that spontaneity. Because when I was at the networks, they scripted everything like to the, to the last. I mean, literally, you would have multiple editors review your script. And it's like, ooh, the tonality of that verb or this adjective. Well, let's use this. Let's use that. I mean, it was just annoying. And it's all for like, what, a minute 20? You're like, oh, I did all that work. And now you're rearranging my entire script because, you know, that word maybe was too edgy or something. And so that is network news in a nutshell. You have way too many people, way too much money wasted on a 22-minute show. Right? It comes on at 6.30 every night, ABC Evening News, CBS Evening News, NBC Evening News. I've been on all of them. And <laughs> this is how it goes. And making matters even worse on the rare opportunity that you get to do a live shot, they'd count you down. You'd get nine seconds. God help you if you went to 10. I mean, you, you would get the wrath of the executive producer. Oh, my gosh, because you ruin their whole show if you go like a minute Forget a minute. What am I saying? A second beyond where you're supposed to be. Everything is so timed out. Well, that's no fun. So I actually loved it when I got to cable. I mean, even if you still had scripts, at least there was a little bit more wiggle room, right? Because not everything was so highly scripted and you had interviews, et cetera. I got to Fox and really felt more breath of freedom until, well, you know, I liked to ad lib perhaps a little too much. And then eventually they said, no, 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 you got to script it. They weren't going to let me do that. So that's why I'm happy here. I can ad lib as much as I want and you guys are okay with it. And, you know, occasionally maybe I'll say something that will get me in trouble, but hopefully, um, hopefully just with you, right? Because there's no management to get in trouble with. And that's, that's the good news. And I think that so many creators and, and people who have opinion right now, they're of the same mindset. Like why work for a network? We're going to be micromanaged and everything's in a prompter and they want to control your opinion. And Tucker's right. I mean, they, they only want to present certain facts, facts that actually advance their own narrative. And hopefully you're getting it all here. Hopefully I'm doing my best to present both sides because I actually think you have a better argument if you understand the other side. All that said, I have a point of view and you'll know it right? Like I, I'm very frank. I'm very open about that. And I think that's the way that we all need to be in this changing industry. And I think Tucker is very forward about his points of view. So I think this venture of his can actually do incredibly well. But what I'd like to see is it be something onto itself along with plenty of others. One of the points that is being made by Malik, Mr. Malik, is that and I'll just quote from the article, which was in the Wall Street Journal, and I totally agree with him. I will actually explain this a little bit more. But he said, what has happened up to now is that in these conservative businesses, you've had a, quote, rich benefactor who has an ideology, right? You put a company into business, but then there's no institutional support to continue financing that business. And that indeed is actually the case because you look at some of these businesses and I'm not going to name names. I mean, Fox is one thing, right? And they've got all the institutional support and they get the real deal behind them. But I look around at the rest of the conservative media landscape and it's incredibly like splintered and fractured and they don't have that institutional support. They don't have the people that can really help them from a financial perspective get to where they need to be. And 
that has to change, I think, if you're going to start to see real competitors to Fox out there. I think that Tucker's pretty serious, you know. Hey, revenge can be quite a motivator, right? I, I think he's pretty serious about taking on Fox, but not just Fox. Like, this is, it's not just Fox, right? It's something more. And I think the more you have these diverse opinions out there, I'm not saying, like, everybody has to subscribe to my way of thinking or Tucker's way of thinking. By the way, Tucker and I disagree on a lot of stuff and did when we were at Fox, and we were on at the same exact time. <laughs> I was on the little red-headed stepchild <laughs> network Fox business. He was on the big kahuna, but we were both on at eight o'clock. And, and I remember Venezuela, for example, we had very differing viewpoints on and plenty of other stuff. But the point is, is you should have that sampling, right? Isn't it great as an American to be able to go to different places and hear different points of view? And you see that. And by the way, liberals as well. Like I want to hear what the liberals are thinking and saying. And I, I want to hear their messed up logic. It's important. I'm going to show you some of their messed up logic today as we talk about Israel and the hate, the hate that we're seeing directed at Israel from so many young Americans, including some Ivy Leaguers. We can talk about that. But bottom line here is the media industry is changing. Fox News, I don't think, has the capability to keep up with it. As I said, you know, everything is still very managed, maybe not to the same extent that it would be at, say, NBC Evening News, but it is still managed. I had to turn in every single commentary, and there were times when you'd get edicts. I remember the George Soros one. This one was weird. I still don't understand it. There was, like, for a while where you just couldn't mention George Soros on the air at all. I still don't know what that was about unless he was threatening to sue them and I just didn't know. But you get these like random edicts or suddenly somebody that was a guest couldn't be on your air. And you're like, well, well, why? Like, this is a friend of mine. This person has a really interesting point of view. Like, why can't I have them on? And that kind of micromanagement did for sure exist. I'll tell you this. I had not seen that in previous networks. Yes, they made you script everything. Yes, they agonized over every single word, but you wouldn't have these sort of major blocks. Like this person has been vetoed and you would get a lot of blackballing at Fox. Like somebody in the conservative community stepped out of line, whatever. Somebody didn't like what they were saying. Suddenly they couldn't be on any show and you're always scratching your head going, well, wait, why? And they go into a, a penalty box for a little while and then they'd eventually come out and you're like, oh, so-and-so's out of the penalty box. Who knew? And I rarely knew or understood the, the background to those things, but these edicts would come out. So again, that's what I'm talking about in terms of micromanaging. While it may not have been to the same extent in terms of the copy, et cetera, that you would see elsewhere, it certainly still existed. And I would say, despite all that micromanaging, they still found themselves in trouble. And by the way, the micromanaging, I should also point out, really came after the founder, creator, Roger Ailes was gone. So that was when the sort of hysteria came in. You had a bunch of middle managers saying, ah, you know, I want a little more power here. Let me, let me make sure I get to see Trish Regan's script before she gets on air. And we're doing this to protect her. Of course, we'll, we'll totally sign off on a script and then feed her to the wolves when the time is appropriate, <laughs> which is what happened. But I stand by what I said, by the way. We never should have shut down in March 2020. I tried to warn the president that night. I tried to say, listen, it's a trap and you're going to wind up hurting yourself, your economy, your political chances, etc. And I was right. So I, I stand by that. And I appreciate 
what this gentleman is trying to do do with his company. 1789, that's the name of his company, and it was named for the year the Bill of Rights was written. So kind of a neat a neat thing to think about. Um, again, he's, he's basically trying to equip some of these more conservatively aligned companies with the right kind of seed money and infrastructure infrastructure so that they can move on to bigger and better things. Um, a friend of mine who's actually going to be on the show next week, a gentleman by the name of Chris Buskirk, founded an organization called Rockbridge Network, which is mentioned in the article as well. And Chris, well, he'll tell you himself. I mean, he's got some really big ideas on how we can learn from other communities that have come here, including immigrant communities that have really like dug in and created their own kind of economic universe. And his feeling is, and I've talked to him about this in the past, I want him to explain it to you in person, but his feeling is conservatives really need to double down on helping themselves and their own community. Because by the way, we make up half the country, do we not, right? Half the country. So you can't just blackball everyone like Hillary Clinton wants to do, you know, deprogram us all. So this is a good thing. I'm, I'm happy for Tucker. I think the world needs more of this. I think there's a huge opportunity to really help affect change here. And I say this because every new listener that comes in here, which is my reminder to make sure that you subscribe, (laughs) hit the red button, make sure you hit the bell. Every single new listener that comes in hopefully is learning a fresh point of view, something new. And we don't have enough of that. When you look at college campuses in America today, and we'll talk about this, um, the, the hate directed at Israel right now. I just am astonished that this is tolerated. And I don't mean, quote unquote, tolerated. You know what a proponent of the First Amendment I am. But there's also kind of this sense that it's, it's all our way and, and none your way. Some of these rallies that we've seen, some of the rhetoric coming out of Harvard University, out of UPenn, out of Columbia, this is the kind of stuff that is so grossly inappropriate you may have your point of view and we may be able to have a, an intellectual conversation about it. And I hope we can, but is it really appropriate after 1,400 Israelis have been massacred when, when women have been raped and paraded through the streets with bloody crotches as these, these people cheer when you have a terror organization that is burning people alive, when you have a terror organization that is, is holding people hostage and then sending videos to their family. I mean, this is really, really bad stuff. So no, it's not appropriate to come out and support them immediately after. And then, and then for these university campuses to somehow not care. So look, I, I think it's wonderful, absolutely wonderful that the creation of 1789 capital is there, that they are taking an initiative to back Carlson and Patel. And I think we need a whole lot more in the way of different forms of media to help get out to all kinds of people. It is really important. And the more that you can make these, these organizations slightly more sophisticated. And I don't mean by having layers of management, right? Like Duncan, like we need to preserve the integrity of all of our ability as creators to be able to speak freely and think freely, but we also need the proper infrastructure around it, right? So that, you know, you're, you're able to carry that forward. So hats off to him. That's very, very good news. Let's turn to another story right now, which is the Donald Trump gag order. Speaking of freedom of speech, 
a judge has issued, imposed a gag order on Donald Trump. This would be the judge that's overseeing the 2020 election subversion case. According to the AP, the federal judge overseeing the 2020 election interference case against Donald Trump in Washington imposed a narrow, they call it narrow, I think it's actually kind of big, gag order on him on Monday, barring the Republican former president from making statements targeting prosecutors, possible witnesses, and court staff. The order came from U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin, and it marks, they say, quote, a milestone moment in the federal case that accuses Trump of illegally conspiring to overturn his 2020 election loss to Democrat Joe Biden. It is, quote, the most serious restriction a court has placed on Trump's rhetoric, which has become a centerpiece of his grievance-filled campaign to return to the White House while fighting criminal charges in four different cases. I'll tell you, this one came came out, and I said to uh, one of my team members, wait, wait which, which case is this? Which judge is this? I mean, it's, a, it's overwhelming, right? Alan Dershowitz has a book called Get Trump. Very aptly named, shall we say, because it's just lawsuit after lawsuit, problem after problem. Anyway, this is U.S. District Judge Tanya Chuckin. You're looking at a picture of her on screen if you're watching this live. If you're not, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, congratulations. I so appreciate you doing that. Everybody else, I got to give you that link because I would love it if you could make sure that you do that. Just download it. It helps. Every little bit helps because when you download it, we go up in the numbers and then Apple, it feeds the algorithm and and they show us more. So it's really helpful when you do that. Anyway, so Donald Trump has this gag order, which he's saying like, look, like this is election interference again. Like you can't stop me from talking. And yet that's exactly what they try to do. But the truth is you can't stop him from talking. Now, can you? Because over on MSNBC, they're all worked up because he was in court today, not looking too pleased, by the way. And this would be on that 250 million civil case, which, by the way, this is like seriously ridiculous, like just ridiculous. I'll explain some more, but let's hear from Donald Trump himself first. He's in court, as I said today, before he went into the courthouse. This was what he had to say. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. We're at a trial today that should not be taking place. As you know, the head of Deutsche Bank recently testified, just testified, and he said that Trump did nothing wrong. We made a loan. We were very happy with the loan. We got paid back. There were no defaults. It was a very good transaction, and he would do it again. He was a very powerful witness. And we have other executives coming in from banks that will say the same thing. This is a disgraceful situation. This is an attorney general, Leticia, that went out and uh, campaigned on, I will get Trump. I will get Trump no matter what. I'll get Trump. I promise I'll get her. We have two tapes on her now that have come out since the trial because people took tapes of her because they couldn't believe her ranting and raving like a lunatic. But just as the Attorney General of New York State, Patricia James, and she shouldn't be allowed to be Attorney General, she's defrauded the public with this trial. She said that Mar-a-Lago, she convinced the judge that Mar-a-Lago was worth in Palm Beach, Florida, the most expensive land in the world, I guess, that, and the most expensive houses definitely in the world, that Mar-a-Lago, the biggest house, the most spectacular place in all of Florida, was worth $18 million, when it's worth approximately, could be close to 100 times that amount. 
And based on that testimony, and based on her convincing the judge that Mar-a-Lago was worth $18 million instead of a billion to a billion five, which would sell very easily, which we've already proven, but we'll have people come up and say that and prove it, the most important people, the brokers that make the sales. But based on that, he ruled against me. He ruled fraud. I mean, he said fraud. They are the fraudulent people because they ruled a house that was worth 18, they put down as worth 18 million and it's worth maybe close to 100 times that amount. And based on that, they ruled against me having to do with fraud, which is a big statement. But they are the frauds because the house is worth a billion, a billion and a half, 750 million, it's worth a fortune. It's the most expensive house probably in the world. And they said it was worth 18 million dollars. And they don't do anything about it. But based on that, and also Doral, they have Doral at a very low number, and it's worth many times the number that they put. So they chose to do this. So I just want to say the head of Deutsche Bank came in. He said we were great. The loan was great. Everything was fine. Uh, and it was perfect. And this was their witness. It wasn't even my witness. And we have other bankers coming in saying So remember now. Okay, so. That was Donald Trump speaking earlier today. He, by the way, he's totally right on the Letitia James things. I was just looking for some sound of that. I want to play you just to, just to jog your memory. This is the woman that's going after him in this bogus case. And I will explain why it's so bogus. I mean, he certainly did it some justice, but I'll explain. Look, I've been a financial reporter for how long now? (laughs) Wow. Long time going back to 20, 2000, I started. So 23 years. I'll fill you in on that and and why this is so ridiculous. But first, listen to Letitia James right here. I've always seen people who say, oh, I'm not going to bother to register to vote because my voice doesn't make a difference or I'm just one person. I say one one name, Donald Trump. That's what she campaigned on. Get off your lovely language, lady. Oh, we're going to definitely do We're going to be a real pain in the ass. He's going to know my name personally. I love it. He probably does already. He built his wealth off the backs of New Yorkers. We need to focus on Donald Trump and his abuses. We need to follow his money. We need to find out where he's laundered money. All of those transactions have happened here in New York City. Tell this president and every other individual that no one is above the law. Okay, I'm fast forwarding this because there's some music and we can't play it. But let's go back to the end here. Running for attorney general because I will never be afraid to challenge this illegitimate president when our fundamental rights are at stake. The legal system, oh, we're even the most okay, powerful. Okay, so it goes on and on and on. It goes country. on and on and on. I mean, this woman has a mission. She's on a mission. And you know what? Her political future depends on this mission. She has to go after him. So she's going after him with this $250 million lawsuit. Now, let me just explain why this is so bogus. Think about it like this. Okay. You want to get a home equity loan of credit right on your house. And so you go to the bank, pretend it's Deutsche Bank, but you know, maybe it's Bank of America, go to Bank of America or JP Morgan Chase or your, your local bank down the street. And you say, Hey, you know what? I think my house is worth X, call it 500 grand. I think my house is worth 500 grand. And I would like a home equity line of credit for 50,000 or 100,000 or whatever. Based on that, because I've already paid off this much of the mortgage, et cetera. So they're going to then go in, Bank of America would, or J.P. Morgan Chase or any of these companies, and they would then determine, okay, is your house really worth that? 
And then they would make a decision whether or not to lend you money based on that. Now, that's an oversimplified version because you're talking about a company, not an individual in the house. But effectively, Donald Trump was guaranteeing that he would pay the money back with interest. So he said to Deutsche Bank, hey, I I want this money because I'm going to build some new properties. And I promise you, I will pay it back with interest. And by the way, I got collateral. I got this, that, and the other. And then he had a whole bunch of disclosures in there and said, it's up to you to actually verify that I have this, that, and the other, and then it's actually worth what I'm saying it's worth. But again, it's kind of a decision, if you would, between the company owned by Donald Trump and Deutsche Bank. And it has nothing to do with Letitia James. I mean, now Letitia James is going to butt in. Now, if, if he was flat out lying and Deutsche Bank failed to do their due diligence and as a result, investors lost money or maybe the bank went under and American investors lost money. Well, then we could see Letitia James coming into the, into the room and targeting. In this case, it would be Deutsche Bank. She'd be like, what the heck were you doing? Why didn't you verify any of this? How could you take on this kind of credit risk? And then she might go after Donald Trump and say, gee, why didn't you fill out the forms right? But actually, in that case, you'd probably have Deutsche Bank going after Trump. You see how messed up this is? In other words, Letitia James has no business being in there to begin with. This is something that's got to go straight to the appellate court. I find it frightening because it really feels like, you know what? If you're Trump or associated with Trump, we're just going to go and get you any which way we can. You look at what's going on down in Fulton, Georgia, right? With their racketeering charges, etc. Oh, and one of the indictments in that particular case was that he retweeted something. I mean, give me a break. And now you get the gag order. I mean, this is really actually pretty nasty stuff. I'll tell you, it's just going to make him do better. Like they can keep trying this. It's cementing him. It really is as the Republican nominee. And you know what? Given that we're in such disarray, you know, look, Worst things could happen, shall we say. I just want to point out, I mean, think about the mess the world is in. Why is that? Why is that? Why is it that Joe Biden comes into office and suddenly we're pulling out of Afghanistan with no actual plan, pulling out way too early? Because, oh, well, it seems that that rocket scientist of a secretary of state, he's got Antony Blinken, has it in his head, as does Joe, because Joe wants to go down in history as some kind of FDR. Forget about it, buddy. You don't have enough people in Congress right, to kind of be able to get what you want done, done. Thank goodness. Anyway, he goes and says, I want to pull out before the 20-year anniversary. I've got this deadline in my head, and I really want to make it. I want to make it. And what does he do? He kills people in the process. That's an aggressive way of saying it. I should say instead, (laughs) people died in the process, right? I mean, can we blame it all on him? I think that um, the biggest critics would, right, because that didn't need to happen. You didn't need to have so many individuals die in that. You could have planned it better. And for goodness sakes, you certainly shouldn't have left behind the darn equipment. I mean, you can't make it up. It's like, who's on first, guys? So you go from that to the situation in Ukraine, which in my estimation was poorly managed. I've said this before. Look, it's not right that Ukraine was invaded by Russia. I'm never going to suggest that, that that was okay, but I do think that there was an important step that could have and should have been taken by the president and all of his minions 
in that they should have controlled the situation better. They should have calmed Putin down. They should have explained, you know, NATO's not out to get you, et cetera. They didn't do any of that. So to me, that was a failure of diplomacy in a massive way that's resulted in the loss of hundreds of thousands of people. Sad, sad stuff. And then, shall we get to the border, ladies and gentlemen? The border, we're just in the last two weeks, we've learned that over 100 people are trying to come in that are actually on the terror watch list, including many from Iran. Just yesterday, they had two that were on the terror watch list that were both from Iran. I can get you some of these numbers, but they're pretty startling. They're pretty startling to hear. I mean, this is this is pathetic. Why do we have an open border? Oh, because it makes us feel good. You know, we want to be so warm and fuzzy. I'm sorry, but warm and fuzzy. And, you know, there, there's, there's some penalties to that in that all of us just need to be realists. This whole Black Lives Matter and this idea that you don't need the police, let's defund the police as they did in Minneapolis, only to have the woman who led that cause and championed that to get carjacked in front of her own kids in her own driveway. Horrible, horrible, horrible stuff. And she, she feared for her life. She was beaten up in front of her children. I mean, now she's like all about the police, of course. But why do we have to get to that point? Why can't we just be smart, realistic individuals who are very compassionate and welcoming, but simultaneously kind of, you know, are looking around our shoulders because we need to know the harsh reality of the world that exists. We can't be living in some kind of total vacuum like so many of these liberals have and continue to do. I want to point out, uh, we are looking for a Speaker of the House. You saw earlier today, I actually was on the program with you, and Jim Jordan failed round one, and it looked to me like he was failing round two as well. Look, I mean, we could go through multiple, multiple, multiple rounds. This is exactly what happened. Exactly what happened with Kevin McCarthy. I, I was hoping we wouldn't be going through this again. But he did fall short. There were 20 Republicans that could have voted for him, and they didn't. And this is tight, right? Because you have 212 votes that he has got to get. The math, or forgive me, 217, because the math is such that, you know, you really can't afford to have these Republicans as as holdouts. And the more they hold out, the more we're left without a speaker, the more inept we look as a country. And so I think that they... uh ought to get their act together pretty soon. Jim Jordan is, in my estimation, a pretty good pick. I think he um, understands a thing or two about the economy, which is important, incredibly important right now. I'll just give you the rundown of the last vote. Um, it looks as though it was 200 for Jim Jordan, and uh, that's that's too bad because the Democrat got 212. All you need is 217. So that's important that that actually happened sooner rather than later. Jim wanted to go to the House vote. I think he really wants to expose these 20 GOP lawmakers that are declining to back him. And I can actually give you some information if you're interested, if you are interested in knowing just exactly who those people are, right? You're probably curious. Well, for one, we've got the guy in Florida from the 1st Congressional District who um, was was talking about this just yesterday, saying he didn't like the idea that Matt Gates did all this. Okay, and maybe you don't like it. I get it. Like, I don't love it. Full disclosure, you guys heard me. Like, I was like, oh, I can't believe we're going through this. But here we are. Let's make the best of it, shall we? And, and let's move forward. We have to move forward. It is so critical, critical, critical for us as a nation. Okay, here we go. Bacon, Bach, Chavez, Deremer, Desposito, Diaz-Balbert, 
Elsie, Gabarino, Jimenez, Gonzalez, Granger, James, Kelly, Kiggins, Lalata, Lamalfa, Lowler, Rutherford, that's the guy in Florida I told you about, Sparts, Simpson, and Womack. Those are the 20 that are the holdouts. They don't like what's going on, and so here we are. Here we are without a Speaker of the House at kind of an important time. So that sort of stinks. <laughs> I would say one of the reasons I think that Jim would be good for this position is that he is a smart guy from what I've seen, especially in terms of his questioning surrounding everything with Hunter Biden and the mess that that is. I think he would continue to do a good job with Comer on all of that. But I think also he's got sort of the gravitas to bring everybody together. And most importantly, I said this before, you know, he had me in economics. The guy was an economics major. He said he wasn't that interested and he was mostly interested in wrestling. But the fact that he has a little bit of background, hey, it's better than nothing, which is what most of these people have. Absolutely, positively, nothing. Nada, zero. Anyway, let, let's talk about some of this other stuff because, you know, when I, I mentioned the naivete of thinking somehow that you can just get rid of police and that everything's going to be a panacea, that is a bunch of baloney. The naivete of thinking you can have some kind of open border and you're, you're not going to have problems. I mean, let's just talk about the economic problems, right? Everybody coming into the country and suddenly now you have to help them survive when they have nothing. And so your hospitals are overcrowded in New York City right now. 25% of the people that are in the hospitals in New York City are undocumented migrants. That's a lot, right? And by the way, it's a lot of strain on the system. And these are not what we would say are paying customers, right? So they don't have health insurance. So a lot of strain economically on the system there. And consequently, you have Americans that are not maybe getting the treatment that they ought to be because one quarter of the resources is going to all of these people who are here illegally. New York just came out the other day and said, hey, you know what? We can only do whatever. It was it 60 days or something. We can only put you up for this long. Six months is kind of tough, like they're doing in Chicago. They're putting you up for six months in a, in a hotel with meals in Chicago. It, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. So there are the economic realities, and then there are the uh, cultural differences, which maybe is less so with some of the Christian Catholics that are coming up from Latin America, but more so when you hear about some of the other people that are coming in. Again, if we go back to October 1st, we have learned that we have had uh, 285 people from Afghanistan crossing in, more than 2,000 from China, which is interesting. Interesting, right? Like they're, they're coming down through that border. 35 from Pakistan, 60 from Syria, and 30 from Iran, two of which just yesterday were said to be on the terror, terror watch list. We also have news that NBC News actually is reporting this from the Border Patrol that well over 100 are actually people that are known to be on the terror watch list. Wow. Okay. It all comes at a time when the head of the FBI is warning that the U.S. could suffer from Hamas-style attacks. And yet, and yet, and yet, wow, you know, AOC wants to bring them all here. The Palestinian refugees, I should point out there's a headline just crossing right now, that 500 people have been killed at a Gaza hospital. Hamas is saying Israel did this. Israel, and I tend to believe Israel, mind you, because we know what Hamas does. We know what Hamas is capable of. We know how they lie. They are a terror organization. Hamas, I would not put this beyond them at all, to kill their own people. I mean, they wouldn't even let them into Egypt the other day when Egypt briefly opened up a passage 
Hamas, Israel says, fired this rocket. This was a Palestinian rocket that went into that hospital. Really, really, really bad stuff. Biden's on his way over there. He's going to try and have some kind of peace accord. Good luck with that. Good luck. You know, the problem with that is you've, the Abraham Accord was the closest we got. If he could somehow salvage that, you know, he actually would go down in history as having done something good. But this was something, the Abraham Accord, that was started under, well, Jared Kushner, who's the son-in-law Jewish of Donald Trump. And Donald Trump worked on this to bring Saudi Arabia and Israel together. And you had Jordan on board and Egypt and all kinds of good stuff, right? Well, Iran didn't like it because they were getting squeezed out. So what did Iran do? Oh, it hit up its terrorist neighbors there in the Gaza Strip and said, here, do this. We have gotten word that Iran employed the use of ISIS tactics. I mean, that's very clear when you, you see the horror of what happened. And yet, and yet, well, AOC... Despite the FBI's warning, she wants us to welcome our arms to the people in Gaza right now. Watch. Should Arab countries be taking on the lion's share of the burden to absorb what could be over a million, if not more, refugees from Gaza? I think there's something to be said about the region's partners being able to support and step up Palestinians. However, that does not abdicate the United States from our historic role that we've played in the world of accepting refugees and allowing people to restart their lives here. Mm. Great. People who don't think that Israel has any right to exist, who are taught from a very, very early age that these people are not human. I mean, and and don't kid yourself. They don't think you're human either. So this is, um, well, well, this is, this is a narrative that you're going to hear over and over and over again. In fact, shockingly, shockingly, I heard it from Nikki Haley, too. A little surprised by this. Maybe she's trying to, like, you know, elbow her way to show how she's different than Ron DeSantis. I don't think this is a good tactic. I'm just going to tell you, I grew up in Live Free or Die, New Hampshire, which is right now sort of run by Democrats. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely run by Democrats. But anyway, Maggie Hassan, who is the governor, and Jean Shaheen, who is the senator, both lovely women, by the way. I have very good things to say about them. Um, and I've known them since I, I was a child. <laughs> Small state, you know. Anyway, both of them, they were like, no way, we're not having any Syrians come here. Remember when we were trying to take out the caliphate? Not, not happening. And those are Democrats, okay? So yet Nikki Haley says this to Jake Tapper on CNN. Watch. There are so many of these people who want to be free from this terrorist rule. They want to be free from all of that. And America's always been sympathetic to the fact that you can separate civilians from terrorists. And that's what we have to do. But right now, we can... Great. Okay, you go for that. You go for that. Let me tell you, it's not happening. There is no, no how, no way. There will be no public will to take any of these people in, period. Okay. I mean, Rashida Tlaib and AOC and Cori Bush and Iona Presley, this whole squad. Ilhan Omar, how can I forget Ilhan Omar? They can campaign all they want. But there's a reality that's going on right now. And unfortunately, unlike other conflicts in the past, I mean, you think about our conflict, obviously, World War II with Germany, with Japan, you didn't have religion in the way. And so we were able to kind of work with those countries because we had the commonality of capitalism and wanting to succeed economically. These people, they don't care about that. They're so rooted and brainwashed in this idea of religion and this hate 
towards anybody who's not part of their religion, which makes it a problem. Here is Henry Kissinger. By the way, amazing, right? Henry Kissinger. I just want to say that I, when I was a student at Columbia University, was living at a place called the International House, which was... um, well, cheap housing for me, but we had people from all over the world that were living there. And so we had the opportunity to listen to some really interesting speakers. Henry Kissinger was one of them. And I know that one of my very good friends who's been on this program, um, it was was effectively sort of a, um, a, a, a mentee of his. And, and she speaks so, so highly of him having worked in his for him during during the administration. Anyway, here is Kissinger. He's quite quite old and he's very hard to understand so I may have to translate a little bit but I want you to hear what he's saying which is that you know it was a huge mistake for Germany to take in so many Muslims with so many different religious and cultural backgrounds because it's led to all kinds of other problems you think about what's happening in Belgium we know that two Swedish people were the victims of terrorist attacks there just yesterday listen to Kissinger it was a grave mistake to let in so many people it was a grave mistake. of totally different to let in so many cultural people. and religious of and totally different concepts and religious because concepts. it creates a pressure group because it creates inside a pressure group. each country that does that. You get it? Okay, and yet we had Barack Obama as president who somehow wanted to I don't know remake the world and bring Iran to the table. We're going to do this big Iran deal. And they thought that that would all work out just fine. They had that Robert, Robert Malley, who was a special envoy, who then got plugged right back in. You know, when people say, who's running this administration? Think. Think for a second, because clearly not Joe. Clearly not Joe. You got all the same people from Obama, including the same special envoy, Robert Malley, who was fired for mysterious reasons, who now Tablet, which is a uh, publication magazine, came out and said the guy was basically a spy. I mean, the spy spy is a, is a is a tough word. Only in that I don't know if he was ever being paid by Iran, etc. But clearly, he was taking orders from Iran. So do with that what you might. He clearly had an ideological point of view that was not really in sync with where we historically have been as a country, and yet. Zarif is telling him, oh, put this one in or that one. Allegedly, he was. Again, this is all reporting from Tablet Magazine. I encourage you to check it out. I don't know. But all I do know is that you had the same cast of characters that went in after Obama. We know Obama really didn't like Israel very much. I mean, think about that. What was his first His first big trip? It was not, not to Israel, but to Cairo. I mean, he, he kind of, you know, then there was that time that he left Netanyahu waiting for for well, he had dinner for two hours. I mean, he he kind of took every chance he could, as much as he could, to kind of stick it to Israel. Even in this particular event, and in this horrific terror attack, what it took him days, like four days, to express any condolences for the Israeli people. That is not cool. It's just not cool. But this is what we've been living with for some time. And I think, in part, I don't know because of some funding that has happened at some of these U.S. universities and these very prestigious elite institutions, you've had this kind of group think that's set in. And whether it's about transgenders or Black Lives Matter, so like there's a kind of elevation, if you would, of the smallest, smallest minority in the population. Now, at some point, 
you have to think about the greater good of a population. You cannot change all of women's sports to accommodate the biologically born man that now has decided at age 16, 17, 18, or maybe 25 to become a woman, right? Like it it just can't work that way. You have to be willing to look out for women as a whole. You can't just say, well, you know, men can suddenly head into the locker room any day they want whenever they feel like they might be a woman. I mean, that this is just frankly kind of crazy. And I can't believe we have to talk about it. I was saying to my former producer over at Fox the other day, she remains a great friend. She said, remember when I showed you this story? This was like, oh, we're going all the way back to 2016, maybe. And I was like, I don't think we should do that story because that's never going to happen. That's the most ridiculous thing. It was about, you know, basically men being able to share women's restrooms if they felt like a woman that day. And well, I said to her the other day, you were right. We did do this story. I'm like, why, why are we bending over backwards for 0.01% of the population? Like, what about girls? What about young girls? Do they not matter? Apparently they don't. Apparently they don't. And this is part of the indoctrination. There's a correlation between this insanity and what we're seeing now in terms of the hatred, frankly, that's what it is, hatred of Jews and the dehumanization. This video was sent to me by a friend. This uh, took place on a on a Northeastern, uh, very sophisticated college campus recently, and it's pretty bad. If you listen to these words, you have to listen to the whole thing. It's short, but listen closely because at the end, they're saying, Israel, Israel, you can't hide. We want genocide. I mean, this is, this is sick. Watch. Israel, Israel, you can't hide. We want Jewish genocide. Okay? Like, this is happening on college campuses. You know what else is happening? Over at NYU, some teenage girls were caught. We don't know if they're students of NYU, but they were caught tearing down these posters of Children, Israeli children that are still missing, either believed to have been taken hostage or dead. Here they are. Yeah. And yet, all of these schools, it takes them forever to actually say that this is wrong? I mean, you get this Claudine Gay over at Harvard University, raised in Saudi Arabia, African-American woman, black woman. I don't even know what we're supposed to say these days. Anyway, she went to high school with me, believe it or not. I don't know her at all. I don't remember her at all. I think she was a senior when I was a freshman, if I've got the years right. But anyway, um, she was, I guess her parents were working in Saudi Arabia. They shipped her off to this 
fancy schmancy boarding school in New Hampshire, of which I was, I was just a townie. I was a day student. Luckily, I got to go home at night. But anyway, and she went on to Harvard and Stanford and all this. And now she's president of Harvard University and doesn't have the decency or common sense to stick up for Israel at a time like this and her Israeli students. So what's happening? Oh, billionaire after billionaire after billionaire is pulling their money. Thank goodness. I mean, it's, it's too bad that it's taken this long because I think there were a lot of warning signs along the way. You know, the George Floyd thing happened and boom, you know, the whole campus was all about racial equality, 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 and defund the police. And yet, and yet 1,400 innocent Israelis are killed. And Harvard comes out with a statement, 30 different groups, by the way, saying that it was Israel's fault. I mean, that just, that tells you how badly, badly these kids are being taught, how they are being indoctrinated and how wrong it is, how absolutely positively wrong it is. And, you know, I'll tell you, it it can't go on. It just can't go on. I, I, I'm sickened by all of it. And I, I want to just call out, um, it's, it, how how horrified I've been by it, how upset I've been by it, and let you know that um, as a result of that, I mean, I really just felt kind of helpless for a few days, and then someone came to me and, and offered an opportunity to partner with a wonderful charity called the International International Fellowship for Christians and Jews, and they established an emergency fund there in Israel or on the ground. It's an emergency fund that you can contribute to. And they are on the ground in Israel and they are doing everything they can to try and help these people. I was so proud. It was actually like, I'll tell you, like one of my proudest moments in my career, because I woke up Monday morning, I had sent out a little social media thing, giving you guys the information. And I'll do that. I'll put the I'll put the phone number for the organization, which by the way is 1-800-248-8881. And I'm going to put a link. I, I might even be able to put it here in the chat. I did this just yesterday too. Let's see if this works. Oh yes. Good news. Okay. So I, I put that link in the chat. Nope. Nope. That didn't work. <laughs> Forget that. Oh, well, oopsie. <laughs> Some other link. I don't know what it is. Anyway, what I will try and do is make sure that I do put that link in and we'll we'll ensure that you have that information so that so that you can try and help. But I'll put the number in 1-800-248-8881. What I was saying is I was so proud because of all the money that we were able to raise over the weekend, every single dollar that you contribute is going straight to the victims on the ground in Israel. And I was just blown away. I actually brought tears to my eyes and I texted my kids. I, I, was, I was so happy because you know what we were able to do? Thanks to you guys. Thanks to you guys. It's one of these chances where I'm like, okay, my platform really, you know, can really hopefully do some good. Anyway, we got over a thousand hot meals out to some of the elderly that were in the most affected villages where these attacks took place. And we also got some toys and entertainment kits to the little kids that are staying in these shelters just to try and like distract them, right? And and divert them away because these are things that, you know what? No child should ever have to experience. No human being should ever have to experience. And 
why they did this. There are a lot of reasons why Hamas is the terror organization it is. The reasons include the fact that they hate anyone who isn't them. Okay, so when we saw the same kind of stuff coming out from Black Lives Matter and, oh my gosh, like, you don't buy into the whole trans thing? You don't think that your child should be able to change their gender at age 12? Well, then you are filled with hate. No, you're not filled with hate, okay? You just have a different view on things and you want to protect children. And you believe in a country, a country where you reward a meritocracy, where you help students get ahead, not through handouts. You don't just give them a diploma from Harvard. You help them get there all along the way by creating the proper infrastructure from the very beginning. You look at the miserable disaster in some black communities, like in the Baltimore school system, where like you can count on one hand how many kids are proficient in math. Awful, awful. And you tell me, is the system working for them? That's not systemic racism, by the way. Look at all the Nigerians who are black, come to this country and are enormously successful. Look at Indian Americans that come to this country and are enormously successful. Look at the Asians that come here. By the way, they got put in camps. Remember, during World War II, they are enormously successful. It is bad leadership from, dare I say, kind of bad people with some bad thoughts that are frankly communist in nature and they're all about themselves. And they think you just keep throwing more money at the problem. Right on California, Black Lives Matter, they want $5 million for every person who can prove they are a relative of a slave. And somehow you, even though if you just came to this country like yesterday, you're going to have to pay for it. It's your fault because they reduce everybody to nothing but the color of their skin. Except, of course, Asians and Indians don't count. This is not who we are. This might be who they are over in Gaza, but it's not who we are. It should never be who we are. We need to be a country that listens, that helps, and helps people to help themselves. You know, they they say that in religion sometimes, God will help those who help themselves. In other words, God can only do so much. At some point, it's up to you. You have to take ownership for yourself and your family. You have to be willing to put in the sweat equity and the hard work, whether it means studying while working a couple jobs. I I remember when I was first at Columbia, I was there. I had student loans, and I had gone back to school. I had started at a conservatory in music, and at some point, because I'd won some competition money, courtesy of the Miss America pageant, by the way, I I had all this money now. Finally, I could afford my education, but not really. Like I I had enough to maybe get me through a half a year or a year, but, you know, I I still needed to work hard. And so I had to take out some loans and I had to pay for my room and board. Remember at International House where I got to see Kissinger speak? Um, I couldn't even afford a room with a sink. I remember that. They had like two different rooms. You get a room or you get a room with a sink. And I couldn't swing the extra 50 bucks a month for the sink. But I was working full-time, and I was going to school full-time, and I was getting straight A's. And every spare moment I had, I studied. And you know what? That was me. I believed in myself, and I knew I could do it. But I grew up in a place where nobody ever told me I couldn't. In fact, I used to hear lots and lots of stories about my big Irish Catholic family 
who had nothing, like literally nothing. They didn't even have shoes, right? But they had a mother and a father that believed in them. They had a church that believed in them. And every single one of those eight kids, my aunts and uncles, went on to become enormously successful. They were all college educated except for the matriarch of the family, my Aunt Mary, who just recently passed away. And I say that she was kind of like the the first HGTV woman before they ever existed because she she only finished high school. She got married right away. She had six wonderful kids. She became the mayor of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and she used to flip houses back before anybody knew what that was. And so all of them were enormously successful. It's just such a testament to how great this country can be if you believe in yourself, if you've got family around you that believes in you and a community that believes in you. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't have the money to pay for school. I, I got out a bunch of student loans. I was working. I was studying. But I believed in me because nobody ever told me I couldn't do something. Do you understand how dangerous it is when you have institutions and politicians telling a group of people that because of the color of your skin, you can't succeed? That's messed up. And that's effectively the same kind of nonsense and junk that has hurt the Palestinians badly. Because it helps the mullahs, keeps them in charge, right? If you have an enemy to hate, you hate Israel. And that keeps them in business. If you're Iran, they don't want to go back to, you know, being a Western society. No, 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 that that would put all the mullahs out of business. So they perpetuate this hate and they perpetuate victimhood. And no one can get ahead, trust me, as a victim. There was a recent study that looked at success and there's, you know, there's some things around it. For example, having a two parent household, very much indicative of one becoming successful. But one of the most interesting things I found in that study was it, it was not brain power. It was not intelligence. It was willingness to work hard. You got to work in this life. Okay. There are no handouts. God helps those who help themselves. So help yourself, help your family. Make sure that you succeed. I just can't believe that we would try to get away from that. I mean, that is the entire spirit of America. That is what we were founded on, right? This independence and self-reliance and community. The church I go to is settled some 300 years ago, one of the first churches in America. And every time I go in, I think how amazing this is because it was not just the church, it was the meeting house. It was where people assembled, right, to, to govern themselves. That's what we need. We need more governing of ourselves, and we can't tolerate this kind of stuff from the likes of America's most prestigious institutions where they say, we, the undersigned student organizations, this is at Harvard, hold the Israeli regime entirely responsible for the unfolding violence. And then you sit there, Claudine Gay, and you want to tell me it's all about everybody having free speech. Hey, I'm all for free speech. You know it. But there's a time and place. And this is not the time and place after 1,400 people have been massacred. It's just wrong. You know, there's right and wrong in a world. So again, I, I encourage you to, if you can, consider helping 
the victims on the ground in Israel. You will make me very proud if I wake up tomorrow morning and I see that we're able to feed another thousand people thanks to your generosity. 1-800-248-8881. And I will put the link. Please go to that link in the show notes. It's it's important right now. We have We have other stories to cover, of course, but this one is deeply affecting all of us. And I think you're going to see a lot, a lot of rhetoric in the coming days. It's, oh, poor Palestine, poor Palestine, poor Palestine. These poor people. And yes, these poor people, okay? You know what? They don't stand a shot because they've got a whole group of mullahs telling them that they're the victims. And like I explained, if you grow up in this world thinking you're the victim, then guess what? You will be the victim. You will always be the victim. Take ownership. Believe in yourself. Have the self-confidence to go out and do stuff and make a difference and know that you can. And if it takes three jobs while working and this and that, whatever, you do what you can to make sure that you don't have any regrets. Don't let yourself down. It's too easy to say, well, you know, I can't, I can't do this because I'm a woman or I'm a, a dark-colored skinned person, whatever. Or I'm trans and, you know, they don't accept me. That's too easy. And by the way, apparently they accept you. They accept you big time. They accept you big time. Take a look here. Did you see this, guys? Oh, there was just this lovely little race in the city of Chicago. And uh, I want to show you here. In Chicago, the first place and second place winner, gold and silver medals, went to biologically born men. Here's the second place winner, biologically born man. Yeah, this is fair, right? And then you have the first place winner, a biologically born man. Wow. Meanwhile, Dylan Mulvaney. And if you don't agree with Dylan Mulvaney and everything Dylan Mulvaney stands for, blah, 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 you're somehow the problem. Dylan Mulvaney just accepted a an award as, as Woman of the Year, sponsored by Virgin Atlantic. Guarantee uh, that's Richard Branson looking for some PR out of this of some sort. But uh, this magazine, which I guess is a, I think it's a, a pride magazine. Anyway, look at Dylan Mulvaney just grinning from ear to ear because this is what we celebrate. It's the minority that we're celebrating at, at the expense of the majority. Woman of the Year Award, supported by Virgin Atlantic, goes to Dylan Mulvaney. Hello, London! I am so honored to be here with you all tonight. And, you know, some see me as the Woman of the Year, some see me as a Woman of a Year and some change as I only publicly came out online 560 days ago. And some people don't see me as a woman at all. Okay, like, I, I want to know, like, when are you getting the parts? Because let's, like, not ignore the fact that this is actually a really gory, really difficult operation. They don't tell the kids that. We, we spoke with a, a young woman the other day who was 12 years old when they started feeding her this narrative that she could transition and never have to deal with childbirth or menopause or getting her period or this, that, and the other. And she's like, hey, yeah, sign me up. It's a study out of Northwestern that says that actually it's a lot of very intellectually bright 
young women that are getting sucked into this, getting sucked in because, you know, they're no fools. They're like, oh, who wants to go through that, right? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm laughing. I shouldn't. I mean, it's, it's tough to be a 12-year-old girl, a 13-year-old girl. I mean, these are tough. To, I'm sure it's tough to be a 12 or 13-year-old boy too, but, you know, women go through different experiences. And so when you have a, a group that is trying to push a certain narrative, and to try and brainwash them into thinking as they do, we got problems. We got problems. And this is why I, I applaud what Tucker's doing. I applaud all my friends in this space, all the independent creators that are pretty courageous out there, pretty courageous, taking a stand, taking a stand to do something really different and to expose you to more points of view. So do me the favor of subscribing, like it, share it, do all that kind of stuff because we want to grow this channel and grow it. We're, we're at over 150000 now, thanks to you guys. This is all organic. Nothing's paid for. I just come here every day and we have a real conversation. And all of you have really, really interesting things to say. I'm looking at some of your comments. Yeah, I agree, Travis. Where are the feminists? I don't know where the feminists are. Apparently, uh, you know, they just deserted Women altogether, they don't care about girls. They don't care about fairness. They don't, they don't care about any of that. It's, um, it's bad. It's really, really bad. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, again, I'm just looking in real time at, at your comments. And Charles making the point that probably the Iranians like Dylan. Look, I, I don't know what this is all about, but I think that there's some kind of similarity, right, in terms of this leftist nonsense thinking that's so devoid of any reality. I mean, you can be a caring, loving person that wants to help and wants to listen, but simultaneously you don't need to say, okay, now we're going to have the biological men compete in the same swimming race as the biological women. I mean, like, this is just silly. You also don't need to take in every refugee right now. You don't need open borders because you have to have some respect, again, for diversity and for cultural diversity and understanding that they have a different way of living. Look at the, the Swedes right now. The Swedish are in a terrible, terrible spot, as are the Germans, as Kissinger explained. I mean, heck, I've done stories on this. It's wild to me. In Germany, they have this like cultural thing of pools. Everybody goes swimming and swim in the same pool together. Well, they had a real problem because when they brought in all these people from these Muslim religions and in, in they, they they couldn't believe it, right? There were girls in swimsuits and they had some violence that ensued as a result of that. And so then suddenly they were changing the rules so that the women had to swim at one time and the men had to swim at another time. Now, whoa, 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 why are we changing for them? I don't think so. This goes back to the salad versus the melting pot. You're in our country, you melt, okay? You become one because we culturally together are strong and important. And we can respect our differences, but we are, for example, in America, American first. Thank you so much for being here. As always, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you go over to the Apple podcast too. Try to do what you can for Israel. I'll put the link in there. And thanks for listening.